0: Episode 117 of The Blockchain Lawyer is all about the question if the constitutional liberties of the German constitution comply with a blockchain. Is the blockchain a good idea to boost our freedom? We'll discuss this. Have fun. Welcome to The Blockchain Lawyer, a podcast on technology and law. Dennis Hilleman is an accomplished lawyer with over 13 years of experience and a passion for creating a better future through blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive innovations. All statements expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the host and his guests only, and are in no way legal or financial advice. And now, here is your host, Dennis. About Dennis, please visit his website, theblockchain.lawyer, or connect with him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, everyone. What's up, everyone? This is Dennis Salman, your host to The Blockchain Lawyer. Thanks for tuning in again and welcome to episode 117 of The Blockchain Lawyer. It's Sunday, the 10th of November. And I'm looking forward later to Manchester City versus Liverpool, huge Liverpool supporters, so go Reds. But before that, we'll dive deep into a new episode. And this week I held actually two speeches, gave two, well, speeches seminars rather on blockchain. The first one was at the Hanseatic Blockchain Institute. I talked about, oh, the German constitution and blockchain, and that's what we're going to do today too. And the second speech I gave actually at my firm that I'm working with, and I taught other lawyers what blockchain is and what blockchain can do. So it was a lot of fun, great week. And yeah, if you ever need somebody coming around to your firm, telling people about blockchain, hey, ask me if it's in Germany, I probably can do it. So basically, let's go dive deep today into the German constitution and blockchain, because the thing is the following. We think that blockchain can actually change the world, can change our economy, and can change how we do business with each other, how we interact with each other, how probably even our public sector institutions, or administrations, or federal government works. But if that's actually the case, if blockchain, can work in Germany, and um, today I'm also I want to focus on Germany, following my uh, the speech I gave on Monday. If that actually work, we got to check against the German Constitution. So I think we're gonna have a fun episode talking about the German Constitution. Some of you might know the basics of it. Some of you don't. I'll not go into too much details. We're not gonna to be too lawyerish, so to speak. But we're gonna to to talk a little about if our constitution in Germany can actually work with the ideas of blockchain. So I hope you'll enjoy this episode. And as always, let me know after what you think about it. Contact me on LinkedIn or Twitter and let's talk about it. So actually what we're going to do today is checking two documents against each other. We're going to check the Satoshi Nakamoto document from 2008. The white paper, Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system against the German constitution, which is called Grundgesetz für die Bundesrepublik Deutschland. The German constitution, the Grundgesetz is from 1949, from May 1949, 60 years older than Satoshi Nakamoto's white paper. So it comes from a time when there was no internet, no computers no globalizations and of course no blockchain technology no idea of what Bitcoin and Ethereum is and the question is can such an old paper can such an old document the base for the German system of today can that work with blockchain we'll see about that so anyhow before we go into the German Constitution what again is blockchain you know in my very first episode, I talked a lot about it, so I don't want to like give a full repetition of that. And I just want to highlight the key features of a blockchain technology. Generally speaking, generally speaking, we all know that blockchain is a decentralized database technology. It's decentralized because the database is not only stored on one computer, but in, this, in a network on a series of computer, the nodes hosting the blockchain. It is very safe because basically, every information is hashed on the blockchain and stored in a chronological order, meaning that the blockchain as such is immutable. I know that the techies out there will say that's not true because there are are technologies, there are possibilities like pruning that can change the blockchain. But in general, in general, we want to stay with the idea that the blockchain is immutable Every hashed information is stored in a chronological order, making it immutable to attacks. Because as it is decentralized, you can't only attack one central server. You would have to attack the whole blockchain network and gain the majority of gain control over the majority of nodes to control the blockchain. Meaning, it makes very safe to store information on the blockchain, and therefore the blockchain is able to create a lot of trust between its users because of its immutable and very safe character. Then of course the blockchain is transparent. The transactions on the blockchain are transparent. People can see what is happening on the blockchain. It doesn't mean that they see the data itself. They just see that transactions are going on. And if you look at these three elements together, the decentralizations, the immutable character, the transparency of a blockchain, You know that blockchain is a technology that is extremely secure, extremely safe to use, and therefore has its relevance everywhere where people, institutions, corporates, public sector administrations interact with each other, where there are a lot of transactions, be it money, be it other valuable things, be it just data or information. Everywhere in this scenario, the blockchain makes a lot of sense. If you want to know more about the blockchain, check out my first episode, but also check out other episodes that came later that talk about use cases of a blockchain, such as uh, the cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum and so on. You'll, and voting on the blockchain, you'll read a lot about that and you can learn more about blockchain technology in my previous episodes. So anyhow, what about the German constitutions? Um, Those of you who are aware of history know that there have been two German countries for quite a while, because first we have had the Western country, the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, the Federal Republic of Germany that is still existing, which was founded with the German constitution in May 1949, and then you got the German Democratic Republic, which was run under a Soviet system. Not quite from the beginning actually, when it was founded in 1949, it was quite democratic and quite um, a legitimate country with a legitimate uh, leadership, which was voted in a democratic way, but it got more and more Soviet style in the upcoming years and the constitution also changed after that. As you might know, in 1989 the German wall fell. Actually, yesterday we had an anniversary, the 30-year anniversary of the destruction or the falling of the German wall, the Berlin Wall. And now um, as you might understand or as you might know, the eastern part of Germany it came together with the western part of germany continuing in the german the federal republic of germany and the original german constitution from 1949 it was not changed as such it remained untouched it continued to exist why because it functioned well it was a very democratic very well functioning constitution and therefore it went on to exist so what are the main principles of the german constitutions Of course, Germany is a republic, meaning we don't have a king anymore. Germany is a democracy. Germany is a constitutional state, meaning public administrations, public courts, they all need to follow the law. Germany is a federal state, which is very important. We are not like France, we are not run fully in a centralized way from like Berlin is not running whole Germany, like not having the responsibility and the power over everything we've got 16 states in Germany which play a major role which have their own competences their own responsibility their own rights this is very important to know when we which we will talk about later Germany is a social country meaning Germany is responsible for making sure that there is a that where people can live here well and actually Germany of course has a constitutional Uh, basic rule and that's the human dignity which cannot be touched. These basic principles that I just mentioned, these are the principles that by constitutional law cannot be changed. Regardless of how big the majority of any government, fellow government in Germany could be, they could not change these basic principles just mentioned. These are the basic principles that make Germany's constitutions and the the base, the ground for the whole constitutions are these principles. So the first thing that I wanna talk about is the German civil liberties. The articles one to 19 contain the civil liberties of Germany, the civil rights of people here that make out our our freedom against the state. Of course, they follow the idea of former of former human principles like the English Magna Carta, the Virginia Bill of Rights, the French Declaration of the Human Rights. And of course, they also follow the idea of pervicious German constitutions. Actually, there had been already been a democratic constitution in 1848, after, or in 1849 actually, after a revolution in 1848, but that didn't work out. The, uh, the noble people, The uh, kings took back the uh, control after revolution and the constitution never came into existence. But basically also the civil liberties of Germany of 1949 were based on the principles that were laid down already in 1849, 100 years ago. I always find this very interesting and very impressive. So, of course, Germany has very basic civil liberties mentioned at the beginning. Of course, we've got like, the freedom of a person, um, the right to defend oneself against the state, uh, to not be touched by the state and not be hurt by the state. We've got the freedom of religion, we've got the freedom of speech, the freedom of art, the freedom of the media and the right to gather on the, st- on the street and to build co collaborations, the right to work, the right for property, So there are very basic civil civil liberties that we also got in other constitutions. And something that is very interesting to understand in Germany is that of course no civil liberty as such has the right to gain control over any other civil liberty. Um, Meaning that, for example, if you Use your, you can't use your religion to hurt anybody else. Like there's always the idea that all civil liberties should come into balance. This is something that the German Constitutional Court always underlined, that we need our civil liberties to come into balance. So what is the basic idea of the civil liberties in Germany like in ever, any other democratic country? If we look back at history, civil liberties of course come from the experience of being suppressed. We, it comes from the experience of the absolutism in France where the king could just send anybody to prison whenever he pleases. It comes from the experiences, of course, that Germany made under the Nazis. It comes from the experiences of other countries when they had totalitarian governments. And the basic idea of any civil liberty, of course, is that it's a right to defend oneself against the government, against the co- against the states as such. That is the basic idea that we have with our civil liberties. They put the state at rest. They give them. They give it a border that they should not pass. And furthermore, of course, our civil liberties should allow us. To live in freedom, they should allow us to make the best out of make the best out of us. This is a, something that I think is very important. Um, the, our civil liberties want us not only to be equal among each others, not having one person be better and more valuable by birth, but also give everybody of us the chance to make something great out of us to live the life that we want to live, of course, without hurting others. And if you look at the civil liberties like this, then, it makes, then it's clear that they are not only defensive rights against the states, but also something that our, that our Constitutional Court in Germany underlined more and more is the fact that the civil liberties are also something that are the basic understanding of our social community, like whether we have different opinions, regardless of what political parties we follow, what religious belief we have, what co- collaborations, what institutions we belong to. Regardless of all that, we can agree on our civil liberties, we can agree on that it's that it, that it is right that there should be a re, that there should be a freedom of speech a freedom of media that there should be no censorship to art that there should be the freedom of religion, just to mention a few that is like a basic understanding and what the German Constitution Court therefore says is that our civil liberties in Germany are also. Or basic agreement in the society and therefore don't only have an impact on the relationship between the citizens and the states where they are defensive rights, but they also have an impact on the relationship between the citizens among each other. Of course, like no social company, no entrepreneur. No Facebook, no Amazon is like bound to civil liberties like as like a constitutional institution, like the federal government. But nonetheless, our constitutional court in Germany says that if we interact with each other, we should be aware of the civil liberty of the other and respect that. And that is a thought that is actually very interesting because let's go a little back and there, this is where blockchain comes uh, into play on a big scale from my point of view. Let's go a little back. I already talked about that in my second episode um, after the OECD event where I uh, was in a panel with Elastos and Blockstack. Um, in 1949, when the, when the German constitution was founded, we had a situation, there was no internet. There was no smartphones, there was no global trade. Trading happened. On marketplaces, trading happened in shop, and people interacted on the street with each other. People stood at the corner of the street and give speech give speeches. People went to conferences, of course, already back then, and give speeches. But everything was analog. It was an analog time, and people saw each other and listened to each other. The media, of course, came up. We had newspapers. We had soon the TV, the radio, and of course that also help people to understand what's going on in the world. But also it allowed us to speak to people in a direct manner, Like, but but also perhaps even limited because you couldn't reach just anyone with a newspaper. Most newspapers at the beginning of, the, uh, of that time, at the beginning of the 50s were rather regional and already spread all over Germany. But so let's see, let's just get the basic idea how, is in, how did we interact back then? We interact directly with people, we talk directly to people, we send out letters, we, spo- we spoke to them at conferences. With the internet, things changed. We had the chance now to interact with basically every other, any other person in the world. And if we look at Germany, we have the possibility to send out a message on the internet and everyone in Germany could basically read it, could basically listen to it, everyone could listen to this podcast. So the internet changed the game, but not if you look at it in a constitutional way, not at all in a bad way, because it would allow people much better to use their freedom and to be equal with each other. If I join, for example, Twitter and send out a tweet, in theory, it can work out that everyone in Germany reads it the same way we will read it, we will read a tweet from Angela Merkel, for example. So basically, if you look at it, the, the internet had the chance to boost our freedom, to make us even more equal, to give us, the, give us more chances than ever before. And of course, the internet did that in a great way because there are many startups out there and there are many people who have profited in a big way from the internet making it able to have quite new professions, even like YouTube influencers, like bloggers, like startups, which can work with, with very low capital at the beginning and become big on the internet. All that is well, and all the internet did a lot of good things in that manner. But on the other hand, if we look at, at the last years of the internet, we are all aware that the internet has changed. Michael K. Spencer, an author on Medium that I quite like and quite often read his articles, he wrote an article that the internet is broken. And this is of course not something new, other people write that too. But why does the internet feel broken? Because with the internet we have the network effect. Um, Social media especially works that way. People join the platforms where their friends are, where people are where they know and they can talk to and reach out to. So it means that in this scenario, some platforms get bigger and bigger while while the others just don't have a chance to get into the market. We all know that. We all look at the social media today and know that in Western Europe, Facebook social media controls around 80% of the communication, meaning Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp especially. 80% 80% of all social media communication in the West is mainly done on Facebook related apps. And of course we got the big players like Apple, we got the big players like Google who profited in a big way from the internet. So what happened is that we have now have huge players that control and more and more run a big part of the internet, at least in the Western internet. But it's quite the same with Asia, for example, with Alibaba, WeChat in China and Asian countries. So it's not only the West. The network effect just works very well everywhere. So if we look at that, we also know that it's more and more complicated to avoid these platforms. For example, my wife sta- started a company, an internet company in uh, w- that I support her a lot. Go, go check it out, Ice Expedition D. Quite right, quite great. Um, it's like, it's about um, expedition uh, travels to the Polarian regions. So anyhow, she started with an internet company and there's no way she can avoid advertisement on Google or Facebook because that's where the people are. That's where the people search for information. And if you want to get to the people, you need to do advertisement there. And let's look at it if we want to spread out on news on the internet, not like via big companies. If you and me want to spread out, you will need the big companies too. Like my podcast is on Spotify, is on Apple, is on Google Podcasts. I'm also dependent on these big companies. And now if we look back a little at the situation in 1949, when I wanted to spread there, my company, I need to reach more people on markets and with my job. And whenever I imagine I gave a speech there in 1949, standing on a marketplace, giving a speech, either saying something political, something religious, trying to just sell my stuff, people would come and listen to me. They would maybe say, what Dennis says is stupid, I go away, or maybe they would just stay and listen to me. They have the chance to interact with me directly, and I could actually see who's standing there, who's buying from me, who's listening to what I say. Of course, this already changed a little with newspaper and media, but it changed dramatically with the social media of today. If I post something on Twitter today, it is very much dependent on the Twitter algorithms who will read this post. Also with Facebook, Facebook changed the algorithms in a way that even the people that follow you cannot automatically see everything that you post, even if you want them to see it. The Facebook algorithms chooses what you see. And I think this is a very dangerous development because it means that companies, big companies controlling the internet, controlling a huge part of our economy of today also choose which political or social expressions, which political or social point of views get boosted by the algorithm or not. And so platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, but also Google get more and more power within our democratic countries because they can choose what people hear and listen to. It would, for example, in my image with me standing on a marketplace in 1949 and giving a speech, imagine that somebody from Facebook comes in between the audience and me and is a filter. And this filter decides of what of my speech actually reaches out to people and whatnot. This is the situation that we have today or that we are more and more coming into. So what I think is while the internet is a huge factor for approving our civil liberties and for boosting actually democracy. Now, with the way the internet has developed, we got a huge, huge dangerous situations, that large companies like Facebook, decide how we live out of freedom of speech. Just to give an example of freedom of speech, it's the same with freedom of media, freedom of religion in general. So is this right? Is this what our constitution had foreseen in 1949? Of course not. And now we need to develop the way we see our constitution when it comes to such companies. We need to ask us, our civil liberties, do they have an impact also on Facebook and Twitter? It's quite easy to say, does freedom of speech also means freedom of reach? I always like to give the example of the Twitter user Satan. Very funny Twitter account from a guy who of course pretends to be Satan on Twitter. And he, he used to reply to the, to the tweets of Donald Trump. For example, he was like asking Donald Trump on Twitter, are you, honey, are you coming home for Christmas? I thought it was hilarious. But anyhow, like Twitter for at some time then fought this guy and what he says wasn't okay anymore. So what Twitter did was, you couldn't actually, if you weren't following Satan as such, you couldn't actually see his posts anymore, even if others retweeted them. And this is a way how Twitter and other social platforms can control all freedom of speech. If you, for example, gather a huge community on Facebook who want to follow your social ideas or your political ideas, and you post something out to this community today, you can't be sure, you can't be sure that every member of your community will read what you post because the Facebook algorithm has the power to choose if people should, listen, should read it or not. And I think this is where our constitutional liberties today come into danger because our forefathers couldn't foresee the internet and this development of huge companies that control more and more of our social and commercial interactions. And we need to develop something that is a, that will fight against this development. And here's, I think, something, and now we're coming back to blockchain. Here's something that blockchain can come into play largely because blockchain is a peer-to-peer network. It allows direct and trustful conversations and interactions between people. And as the blockchain is transparent, I think if we have the chance to boost the blockchain technology to actually allow our constitutional liberties of freedom of speech, of freedom of religion, of freedom of media, and even the freedom to commercial interactions, to be boosted by blockchain technology. Why? Because it's safe, It's not run by a central system and furthermore, it's transparent. We can check out who actually could see, for example, our messages. So what I'm basically saying is what I think is that the blockchain idea, the blockchain idea of people interacting with each other in a peer to peer network with a safe and trustworthy environment. That is something that our constitutional forefathers in Germany, but also in other countries with very similar approaches, that they would have very much approved of because it has the chance, uh, blockchain has the chance to boost our freedom, to boost our equality, to not be run, to not be controlled by the big companies and their algorithms. So what I think basically is to say, hey, if we want to help with our constitutional civil, uh, civil liberties, when we should actually look into blockchain technology and all the benefits it brings with it. In this context, I want to talk about something else that is often mentioned to me and that is the right to privacy and blockchain. You know maybe that some people criticize blockchain technology because it will not allow for privacy anymore. Information on the blockchain is hashed, we know that, but it is and the it is not as such anonymous it's more pseudonymous like as interactions on the blockchain are transparent uh, one could argue that the blockchain is against privacy also as for blockchain is basically immutable civil rights like the right of uh, privacy cannot be fully processed some critics say because for example the right to erasure erasure of information which we find in the European privacy, um, uh, Euro- European GDPR, um, that is not cannot be fulfilled by the blockchain because as we said, the blockchain is basically immutable. Of course, this is not as such true um, because it's always a question if it's actually personal data on the blockchain, but which I don't think that is, and there are always solutions to everything. But let's go to the basic fact. The blockchain is transparent and the blockchain is immutable. This is against the rights of privacy. And I want to underline two things with that. The first thing is the right to privacy was once installed as a right against the state, which should not be able to gather information at, at will at any time. There was the basic idea where the right to privacy came from. And today we have the absurd scenario that we demand the right of privacy fully against people and let the state control that people, that corporate uh, the corporate enterprises, that companies, that institutions, that NGOs, hell, even my doctor of a um, construction working firm, that they even acknowledge my privacy, regardless even how much I want it. It's, I think it's all absurd in a way. And who's controlling it? The state. So it's, it, I think it's always a little absurd that the right to privacy came as a right against the state, a defensive right, and today it rather works as a defensive right against people and companies. Of course, with Facebook and the Cambridge scandal, it all makes sense, I'm not arguing that, but I just want to bring that everybody back to attention that the right of privacy was a right against the state, first thing. The second thing is the following, all forefathers, of all constitutions. Also the German constitutions, but I'm sure also the constitutions of other countries. Our forefathers knew that people can't just sit at home and not everybody and not see anybody at all. On the contrary, our civil rights freedom of speech, freedom of media, freedom of religion, freedom of gathering on the street, these civil rights are social civil rights. They allow the interaction with other human beings. And the right of privacy always makes it sound like there shouldn't be any interaction. And I think this is an absurd idea because we need to interact with human beings to grow, to grow socially, to grow in our minds, to grow economically. So we can't be absolutely private. And I don't think at all that the blockchain in this scenario is against privacy at all. Not at all and not, all, not against the privacy as understood by the German constitutional court. Because it allows that people can determine what happens with the data and can see on the blockchain in a transparent manner what happened with the data. And I think this is a great benefit from the blockchain so I don't think that blockchain is against privacy at all. I'll do an I'll do an extra episode on that sometime. Also talking about my work with the German Institute of Standardization. I just wanted to mention this point. So German economy, the German economy after the constitution is a basically free economy. And the German constitution doesn't always give so many details on how the economy should be run. Because in 1949 it wasn't clear if it will be a totally capitalistic economy or if it will be a very social economy because there was a big struggle. So the German constitution basically uh, underlined the freedom of people in that and the allowance of people interacting with each other also on a peer-to-peer base and not driven by the state and controlled by the state. So if you look at that again, and what I told before, I think the the German constitution and its approach to economy in this way would very much approve a blockchain, which allows for a peer to peer interaction for peer to peer trades and a trustworthy and safe environment without having middlemen in between, giving everybody the chance to become big on the blockchain. I think the German constitution in this manner would very much approve a blockchain technology. The German constitution also protects property. But actually that's a very interesting topic because the German constitution says that it, that it protects property, but what is defined as property, that is, uh, that is, so the German constitution says, the task of the parliament, national parliament to define what property is. So I actually wrote an article lately on that, um, if Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are property under the German constitution. Um, The basic problem, to put it simple, is the following. As I said, the German constitution says that only the national parliament can define what property is. However, the German national parliament has no law defined if Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies are things, are data, are valuable, they just don't define cryptocurrencies at all. And therefore, one could argue that cryptocurrencies are not property. For example, the BaFin, the German Bundesamt für Finanzaufsicht, which is the highest financial administration uh, for uh, banks and financial service providers, um, this administration basically says that cryptocurrencies are no money under German law, which is of course true, but which is just putting it in a very simple way. So, one could argue that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are not property and therefore not be uh, protected by the constitution. However, I laid down that also other property elements are not as such defined by the parliament, but however acknowledged by the constitutional courts. course, for example, license agreement. If you have a license agreement, there can be property, even though it's not as such defined by the German parliament, but by the, cons- uh, by the contract partners so i argued that the private key the private key to your wallet the private key to reaching out to your bitcoin and your other cryptocurrencies that's the actual property because this gives you what property usually does it says this is only yours nobody else can define it and nobody else should use it that's typical for property so the private key from my point of view is property under the german constitution so basically and this should be the first part of the glance at the german constitution and the blockchain technology basically i'm saying this our constitutional liberties or civil liberties and after the german constitution the grundgesetz and also compared with other constitutions are meant to give us freedom and equality among each other. They are meant to give us a chance to make the best out ourselves. In the internet of today, we face the challenge that big companies run a lot and therefore the our social and economically development. And this is a danger that the forefathers of our constitution could not for- be foresee. Therefore, I think they would highly approve of a blockchain technology which allows peer-to-peer transactions and peer-to-peer trading of information, data, social, political opinions, religious belief, and also valuable things without having a middleman, without having large companies in between. That is why I think our civil liberties and our blockchain technology are highly compatible with each other and therefore our forefathers would highly approve of blockchain technology. With the first part, then the second part, we'll look at the um, responsibilities of a federal and state government in Germany and the ideas of blockchain infrastructures on the federal level that we will still that we will discuss critically. But as this episode is already nearly forty minutes long, I think it's time to make a pause for today. And I hope you'll join in then for the second round of this very important matter our constitution on blockchain. Will they work out together? Have fun. And as always, let me know what you think of this episode. And if you have any wishes, what I should discuss in the next episode, please let me know. Bye for now.